1: A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now. Use the code EPL25 Again, LibertyShield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, What's good boys and girls, two-footed podcast. Today is Thursday the 8th of June. Hope you're all well. I know West Ham fans will be happy today. Europa Conference League final last night, West Ham United 2,
2: Fiorentina 1. Few initial thoughts on this. Delighted for Moyes. I'll come back to why.
1: But I do think the better team lost. And I think West Ham were very, very fortunate. First half was a bit of a damn squib. Both sides quite nervous. Fiorentina, undeniably the better team, had the majority of the ball, the majority of the chances, had a goal disallowed. Um, Jovic, unfortunately, just a foot offside, but it's the right call. West Ham go ahead on 62 minutes. And this is where the real controversy is. Jared Bowen miscontrols the ball. A Fiorentina player kind of runs into the ball and hits him on the hand. It, there's no way it's a deliberate handball. There's absolutely no way it's a deliberate handball. Referee goes to the screen, looks at it, awards the penalty. For me, it's not a penalty. There's no purpose in that player touching the ball with his hand. He does not mean to do it. I don't think it's a penalty. and I don't think it should have been given. And if that one was given, how on earth was the one not given in favor of Fiorentina in favor of Roma last week against Sevilla, which was more blatant and more purposeful? Um, Saïd Rama steps up and scores, but within five minutes, Fiorentina were level. Beneventura finishes well past Ariola, and it looked like we were heading for extra time. Fiorentina were. Largely in control of the game, but
2: they did get a little bit loose and a little bit lazy, I want to say, in how they were setting up their shape in the last 10 minutes or so of the game. 90 minutes, Fiorentina's back line is far too high. Piquetta picks the ball up. Bowen makes a simple run, really
1: well timed. Piquetta slides him through. Bowen runs on. It's a really good finish. But why on earth does Igor not just foul him? I get that you're going to get a red card. I understand that. But you have got to commit the foul there. You have to foul in
2: that circumstance. Take your red card. That team could have held out an extra time by just spoiling the game. Italians are always well-versed in it. It's really, really poor from Igor. He has to make that foul.
1: Just clip his heels. Send them to the ground. Get get your team to extra time. Sacrifice yourself for the good of the team. But he doesn't. And West Ham go on to win the game. They are this year's Europa Conference League champions. It's the first silverware for the club, I believe, in 47 years. Which is... A huge achievement. Uh, I think the last trophy that they won, if I'm not mistaken, was the Cup Winners' Cup. Uh, No, they won, sorry, 43 years. They won the FA Cup in 1980. Cup Winners' Cup was 65. Ignore me. So this is their fifth major trophy in their history. Three FA Cups, Cup Winners' Cup, and now the Conference League. And it's a great achievement. It is a great achievement. It wipes away what's been a very, very poor West Ham season. It gives them the trophy that they've long desired. It gives David Moyes the trophy that
2: he has long earned. Moyes has been managing since 1998. Four years at Preston, 11 at Everton, The club at which he proved you don't need to be,
1: you don't need trophies to be a winner, but he is a winner. But the truth is, you do need trophies to be a winner. That's the whole point of the game, is to win.
2: And he never got there. And his stint at Man United could have ended his career. It was such a disaster.
1: Saucy Dad was a disaster. Sunderland was a disaster. He remade his name when he went back to West Ham, but it had been five really
2: rough years, four really rough years. Goes back to West Ham, goes to West Ham the first time, does well, keeps them up. And then they bin him off. They bring in Pellegrini. And then they go back to Moyes about, I don't know, 18 months later or so. And since then, he has done very, very well. And the two seasons prior to this, West Ham were excellent overachieved hugely. But this was a very poor season.
1: But it doesn't matter because now he has real silverware and no one can ever take that away from him. He's a three-time manager of the year when he was with Everton. But he never had the silverware. And now he has a major European trophy. And we can disparage it and laugh at it all we want because he's got a silly name. But the fact of the matter is, traditionally, we had three major European trophies. And the Cup Winners' Cup was important. And I think in time, this cup will become important. For now, it's still a bit of an oddity. You know, it's two years in. It's not taken as seriously because it's teams that finish, you know, six and seventh in the domestic leagues. You play a number of bad teams throughout that you should beat easily if you're a top club from a top league. And then the finals are played in stadiums that hold 20,000. But it's early days in the competition. Give it 10 years. And I think this achievement by West Ham will be seen as bigger than it's even seen today. For West Ham fans, it's euphoria. 43 years since their team won
2: anything. 43 years. I'm old. I wasn't born when they won that last cup. There's a whole there's multiple
1: generations of West Ham fans that have never seen the team win anything. And now they have.
2: And they get to brag about that. And now with this along with their Cup Winners' Cup, they can rightly say
1: that for the next few days at least, they have better European history than Manchester City.
2: They have equal, if not better, European history than Arsenal. Who also have a Cup Winners Cup and
1: a Fairs Cup, the Intercity Fairs Cup, which was sort of the precursor to the old UEFA Cup. They've also, West Ham also did claim an Intertotal Cup, but I mean it's it's a bit of a non- it was a bit of a nonsense. So, you know, there's two two massive clubs that they can take
2: pride in having better European history than. You could also say that they've got better European history than than most other clubs, you know? They've won major European honours now, two of them in their history. And I think it could be the catalyst for West Ham. Now,
1: David Sullivan has come out today and said that Declan Rice has been
2: promised he can leave in the summer. So Rice will go. They'll get 90 million, which is way above what he's worth. And they'll be able to reinvest that money. And
0: I think they can become a better team moving him on.
2: You can get two or three midfield players in who can, in a year or two, reach the level
1: he's at. They went and bought Lavia and Onana, just as examples, because they're two players that have been linked with moves away from their clubs. I think they'd be better off as a team. The real star of the show was Piquetta, And if he stays,
2: that's going to be massive for them. I thought Rice had a poor game last night. That Amrabat dominated the midfield. But
1: Declan Rice got to lift the trophy at the end of the night. And that's the only thing that really matters.
2: So I am delighted for West Ham. I'm delighted for Moyes. I do think their fans let themselves down. Not
1: all of them, obviously, but a couple. We obviously saw the scenes before the game. That was a 50-50 split. West Ham fans and Fiorentina
2: fans causing trouble and fighting in public areas. But the fans that threw stuff at players are a disgrace. And obviously we saw one of the Fiorentina players, um,
1: Baragi, the left-back, have to wear a significant bandage on his head after he got caught with something that was thrown from the fans. And there'll be an investigation into that, and it wouldn't be surprising if West Ham
2: face a pretty severe punishment, potentially having to play a game in front of no fans at their home stadium next year.
1: But can't let that spoil what's a great night for West Ham, a great night for these players. There's a lot of likable players in that team, for certain. There's areas that need to be upgraded, but there is the bones of something good there. You've got a very good goalkeeper in Areola. You've got two good centre-backs in Zuma and Agard. If they keep them fit, that triangle will be really strong.
2: You've got Paquette, you've got Bowen, you've got Ben Rama, you've got Pablo fornals I think they should give Skamaka a proper goal next season, I because I, I think he's a massive talent. And
1: that can be their attack, and they've got some depth, and then if they sort out the midfield areas and the fullback areas, I think they could be very good next season. I would still lean towards replacing Moyes, because I do think he has a shelf life. I think most managers do. I think he might be at the end of his. But he, if he does leave... He leaves on a high. He leaves with a trophy in hand. And when he walks into his next job interview, he can say, well, look, I've had success in Europe. You want your club to progress? You want to have success in Europa League or Conference League? I got to a Europa League semi final. I won the Conference League. I can be the guy to do that for you. So everybody will win in that scenario. Uh, So again, congrats to West Ham and congrats to David Moyes. Uh, Liverpool have completed the signing of Alexis McAllister for a fee in the region of 35, 38 million, rising to about 45 with add-ons, not rising to 55. That is simply a lie being told by journalists trying to make up for the fact they didn't know what was going on. It's a great signing for Liverpool. It's a signing that makes sense. It's a player with big upside who has already established himself as one of the better players in the Premier League. He brings good experience. He brings a knowledge of how to win major trophies, having been part of the Argentina team that won the World Cup and a Boca Juniors team that won the league title down there. I'm thrilled. I genuinely am thrilled with this move. I think it's a bargain price. He'll be on very affordable wages. He's 24. He's got years ahead of him. He hasn't hit his prime yet. I think it's a no brainer move for Liverpool. Well, that deal has been announced today. It was announced yesterday that Real Madrid have agreed a fee with Borussia Dortmund for Jude Bellingham 88.5 million up front and about 26.5 million in potential add ons. It's a
2: lot of money for a 19 year old who has a troublesome knee, but talent-wise,
1: mentality-wise, I think Bellingham will deal with the move perfectly fine. I do have concerns over that knee. He'll need to get that addressed, but what a midfield group they've now got. Bellingham, Fetty Valverde, Chiuameni, and Camavinga. That is That's almost a cheat code. That's when you break a game and manage to just accumulate all the good stuff. There's obviously Liverpool fans upset by the fact that Liverpool pulled out of a deal for him a couple of weeks ago. The fee isn't the issue. So for Liverpool fans saying, oh, we saved up for years and didn't pay the money, the fee isn't the issue. Liverpool could have paid the fee. But the issues are, are, number one, Liverpool need a big rebuild this summer. They don't just need Jude Bellingham and one other player. They need four or five in this summer, followed by a similar amount in over the next two windows. Because their squad is old, slow,
2: injury prone, and in some areas just not good enough, frankly. So Liverpool need to spend their money in a wiser
1: manner than just spending it all on Jude Bellingham. Because it's clear the original plan was Bellingham and Mount. And they made a decision to go from McAllister over Mount. And it looks like the decision was to go and get Kevin Turam and Manu Kone and potentially one other from the money that Jude Bellingham would have cost. Now, they might not get Turam and Kone. They're just the players they're trying to get. And they do want both. And hopefully they'll land both. But the plan is very clearly changed And the realization has hit that this is a much bigger rebuild than we thought. The second issue is the wages. Bellingham has signed a six year contract worth rumored to be worth 12 million a year after tax, somewhere between 10 and 12 million a year after tax. Let's say 11
2: million after tax. That means it's 20 million or so before tax. That's the best part of. 400 grand a week. When we convert that into euro, it's about 350, 360. Sorry, when we convert it into
1: sterling from euro, it's about 350, 360. McAllister will probably be on wages of about 120. Turan, maybe 80. Kone, maybe 60. And if it's Mickey Van De Veen, maybe 60, 70, same kind of money as Kone.
2: So you can get all four of them wage wise for less than Jude Bellingham. Four players who all improve you for less than one player who would improve you. There's also signing bonuses, agent
1: fees, the kicker to the father, and then the contract bonuses: appearances, goals, wins, Champions League qualification,
2: trophies, etc., etc, etc. It all adds up. Real are probably committing a guaranteed amount before we factor in any win bonuses, gold bonuses, and all that trophy bonuses. Real are probably committing, let's say it's 18 million a year, let's say it's 360,000 by six. That gets us to 104 million. Am I right? No, I'm not right. 108 million. 108 million plus signing fee, probably a full year salary, plus agent fees, probably 10, 12 million. And the kicker to the
1: father, you're probably talking about 150 million on top of the money to actually buy him. That's where the issue fell for Liverpool. They couldn't extend to that level of total package. The wages would have made him the highest paid player at the club. Higher than Salah. Higher than Van Dijk. Higher than Alisson. Much higher than Alisson or Van Dijk. Higher than Salah. At 19. So then they're all going to turn around and go, well, hang on a second. We've won leagues and we've won a league in a Champions League here. We've been here five years, six years. Where's our money? We want to renegotiate. Then you'd have Trent coming in for his next contract going, well, if he's getting that, I'm getting that. And then what happens in three years when Jude wants a new deal? Does it go to 400,
2: 450? What happens three years after that? Five, He'd only be 26. You're looking at at least one more contract after that. Could that be 650? You see, when you give a
1: player at such a young age, this is my issue with Arsenal giving Saka such a big contract at such a young age. All you're doing is kicking the can down the road and meaning that when you get to that can the next time, it's instead it's a fridge. Instead of a can of Coca-Cola, it's a fridge worth of Coca-Cola you've then got to kick. Then it's a shop full. Then it's a lurry full. Because every time they come up for a new deal, they're going to want more money. And rightly so. Absolutely
2: rightly so. Players should get as much as they can. But it does set a bad precedent for yourself. And if you'd
1: given, if Liverpool had given Jude this contract, in three years he's gonna have won a bigger contract. And three after that, he'll want a bigger contract. And then you're into unsustainable wages because it's not just gonna be him, it's going to be everyone else as well. Other players who are signing
2: are going to think, well, this crowd throw money around left and right. Other players who are up for new contracts are going to think, well, hang
1: on a sec. I've done more here than he has, or I've done as much here as that other fellow. So give me my money. Like One of the reasons William Saliba's contract is yet to be sorted is because his demands changed when the Saka deal became known. Martin Odegaard is going to want the same as Saka. Declan Rice is going to come in this summer almost certainly. And he'll see that money and think, well, hang on, I want that as well. And now it's not just one player you're paying that much money to. It's three. It's four. Down the line, it's five. Then maybe someone goes above that. Now, all of a sudden, you start stepping it up and you mess up your wage structure. So I don't have a problem with Liverpool not signing Bellingham. In fact, I'm glad we haven't because it would have been all the eggs in one basket. I think it would have been too much pressure on one player, too much expectation on one player, and frankly, too much money to commit to one
2: player in a position where there are a plethora of outstanding young players. The FAI, the Football Association of Ireland,
1: has unveiled an €863 million infrastructure plan to transform Irish football. Investment will be sought over a 15-year period. The FAI wants €47 million to upgrade its Abbottstown National Training Centre for its Irish national teams. It aims to spend €426 million at grassroots level and €390 million Euro on the League of Ireland, which is badly needed. Unveiling its facility investment vision and strategy on Thursday, the association said football in Ireland has been underinvested for the last 25 years and has fallen behind our European counterparts in facilities investment. Um, all of that is true. All of that is true. It's also true that the FAI spunked loads and loads and loads of money on shenanigans over the years, including one John Delaney. If you haven't read the book Champagne Football, I do encourage you to go and find a copy of it and read about the high-flying jet-set lifestyle of John Delaney when he was head of the FAI. Um, But it is badly needed, and hopefully we do get to see some of this investment. We'll do the gossip, we'll take a break, and then it's questions time. South Korea defender Kim Min-jae is edging closer to joining Manchester United on a five-year contract. Newcastle might hijack the deal, having held talks with Kim.
2: Kim and Botman would be a really, really good pairing. If Newcastle could pull that off, that would be
1: an outstanding get. Aston Villa are interested in signing Harry Maguire this summer.
2: That is from our good friend and spoofer extraordinaire, Wayne Vesey. Villa have made a
1: formal offer to sign Pau Torres. Don't believe they have, but he's certainly won. that I wouldn't be surprised if he landed there. Al-Ali President Walid Muat travelled to London this week in an attempt to sign Riyad Mahrez after his team missed out on signing Lionel Messi. So you will have seen Lionel Messi is on his way to Inter Miami. As I had suggested and predicted, he will get a future stake in a an MLS franchise. It may well be Inter Miami. I think he might want his own bag, not just Beckham's. He'll get revenue sharing from Apple and from Adidas. It's going to be a great deal. It won't be as Big a deal, obviously, is what he could have got going to Saudi. But he made it very clear it wasn't about money. He went there because he felt that's where he wanted to go. I've seen people criticise him. I saw Gammon extraordinaire, Piers Morgan, suggest that Messi had left elite-level football earlier than Cristiano. And somehow that was point scoring for Cristiano. I'm not really sure how Piers Morgan's mind works I don't really want to know either but what I would say to Piers Morgan is that if we take a look at their careers and look at Cristiano's career versus Messi's career well yes Messi is 2 or 3 years younger 35 versus 38 so best part of 3 years younger And it's Messi's birthday, June. He'll be 36 this summer. So there is only basically two years and four months between them. Messi has packed quite a lot more into his career in terms of everything he's accomplished than Cristiano has. And Messi has also maintained an elite level longer than Cristiano has. I mean, Cristiano scored goals for Juventus, but he wasn't very good for Juventus. And they got worse each year. He, wa- he scored goals for United, but he wasn't good for United, and they got worse each year. Cristiano hasn't been an elite-level player
2: since probably 2016. Still scored goals afterwards. Didn't offer anything else. Didn't
1: offer anything at all. Whereas Messi in this past season of PSG is arguably the best player in the French League. Messi in the past year has won a World Cup. Cristiano has gone to play in Saudi Arabia. Messi's winning World Cups. So I don't have any issue with him taking this deal and and going there. I think people are underplaying how good MLS is, how competitive it is, and the potential of that league. I think it's got the potential to be Every bit as strong as the French League or the Portuguese League. I don't think there's any doubt in that. I think it's not far behind them as is, truth be told. I wouldn't have had a problem if he went to Saudi Arabia, to be totally honest. I know I laugh at Cristiano playing against plumbers and school teachers and the like, but. Now, what I will say is. Messi is going to into miami because he wants to go to miami Cristiano plays for Al Nazir because nobody else wanted him. As simple as that. He's there because no one wants him. Messi is going where he wants to go. But I don't have an issue with Cristiano going there to line his pockets. I don't have an issue with any player going there. I think it's a bizarre thing to see journalists taking shots at players going to Saudi Arabia for the money. If someone offered you seven times your salary to do the same job, but, you know, at a less hectic level, no matter what you do, whether you're a footballer, a journalist, a garbage collector, a fast food server, a school teacher, whatever you want to be. If someone offered you seven times the money,
2: you're not turning it down. You might, Think you would, but you're not turning it down. And let's turn down journalists
1: from the Times having something to say about the source of someone's wages. Your money comes from Rupert Murdoch, who's a scumbag, as big a scumbag as basically anybody on the planet. So you don't have the moral high ground to stand on. Most people who work for major multinationals don't actually know where their money comes from. But if someone offered them seven times the money to go and do the same job, but, you know, less of that job, they would take it. Just as these journalists would take it if someone offered them, you know, come to Saudi Arabia, write a column every two weeks. And instead of earning the, you know, 70, 80 grand you're currently earning, working for The Times as a national reporter, we're going to pay you half a million a year. The planes would be full of pasty white fellas heading for the Middle East
2: with their laptops, their pens, and their notebooks. Let's not pretend otherwise. Back to the gossip. Bayern
1: Munich are still hopeful of persuading Harry Kane to join them, despite interest from Real. I think Bayern is the best move for him, personally. I really do think it's the best move for him. After securing Lionel Messi, Inter Miami have now turned their attention to securing Angel de Maria and Sergio Busquets. Interesting. Uh, Man City are poised to make an approach with Josco Gvardiol. Luis Suarez is set to leave Gremio and join Inter Miami to play alongside Messi and Busquets. Inter Miami's... Dutch goalkeeper Nick Marsman says the American club is not, uh, is not ready for the arrival of Messi. Um, spare a thought for Phil Neville. If he'd just clung on a couple more weeks, he could have managed, he could have managed Messi. Uh, Golo Kante has completed a medical after agreeing a two-year deal worth €100 million Euro per season with al
2: Um which, you know, is a, is a fair push. Spain goalkeeper David De Gea
1: is ready to snob a lucrative offer from Saudi Arabia to stay in Manchester United. I don't think he's getting an offer, to be honest. AC Milan are still keen to sign Ruben Loftus-Cheek. The agent of Frank Kessie is denied the midfielder is up for sale. Fabio Carvalho will only be allowed to leave Liverpool on loan this summer. Um, I I don't actually believe that, to be honest, because it's from an unreputable source. Arsenal striker Foller and Balogun is a target for AC Milan and Inter Milan, with the American set to leave after impressing on loan at Reims. Brighton are preparing a club record bid of £40 million for Levi Colwell. Manchester United are closing in on a surprise transfer for Axel de Sassi. How would it be a surprise? He's been linked for like a year.
2: Luton have joined the race to sign versatile Jamaican defender... Joel Latabodier,
1: I don't know, on a free transfer from Swansea. Uh, Being a Premier League club will probably help that. Um, But it is Peter Rourke, so, you know, probably garbage. Anyway, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to fly through some questions and that will be us for today. So I will see you in about 30 seconds or so. Right, welcome back. So, it is Thursday, so it's listeners' questions time. So, we'll start off in Discord, and the first question comes from Arman. What did you think of Moises Caicedo's performances at right back towards the end of the season? We signed him and wanted Trent to play in midfield. Could it work with the two of them interchanging? It could. It wouldn't be ideal. If you're signing Caicedo, you play him in midfield. He would be the starter next to Trent in that double pivot, but he could potentially also then be the backup for Trent in that hybrid role. He was very good at right-back. Looked like he'd been playing there for years, but you'd want him in midfield. Uh, Rick M. Firmino got loads of goals for Liverpool in and around the six-yard box. Do you think Gakpo can do the same? I do. I think we've already seen him get some goals in and around the six-yard box. Uh, The Southampton goal... There was the Everton goal. They were tappins, I think the Leeds goal as well, if I'm not mistaken. And his United goal was in and around the six-yard box off a a good run. So I do think so. I do think so. He's got good goal-scoring instincts. And remember, we don't just have Gakpo; Darwin Nunes is there as well. So he'll score a bunch of goals in and around the six-yard box if we give him the service. AMK 2889. If our summer business is McAllister, Turam, Kone and Gabri Viega for the midfield, I assume this means we miss out on Caicedo and Chiuameni. Could we convince either of them to stay one more year and then go for the next summer as we possibly offload Fabinho? Maybe agree a pre-deal next January for them to join the summer. If Real get Jude and Chiuameni doesn't see his future at the club,
2: what other clubs would be a good fit for him as well as Caicedo? Um, Byron would be a great fit for Chiuameni and for Caicedo PSG obviously whispered softly but both Manchester United and Arsenal but not if they're signing Rice just instead of Rice because they're both better than Rice uh, Caicedo would be a great fit at Chelsea
1: Chiuameni could be a very interesting fit at Newcastle next to
0: Gamarish
2: Juve could do with Caicedo. Inter could do with Chiuameni. I think AC Milan could do with both, but they won't have the money, the, the
1: Italian clubs. Those two players can pretty much walk into any club and improve. They're outstanding. But yeah, if we sign Alexis, Kefren, Manu and Viega, it'll mean no Caicedo or Chiuameni this summer. Um, and, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm okay with it if we get the four in. Could we convince him to stay in? I don't know that many would need to be convinced to stay a year. I think he will give it a year. I do think if the right offer came in now, he'd probably take it. I could be wrong, but I think he probably would. But I do think he'll give it a year there. Maybe in a year it's easier to go and get him. As for Caicedo, you would need to convince him to stay a year, I think. I, I have a feeling he's going to end up at Chelsea. I think they're going to end up paying about 100 million for him, but I think that's probably where he'll end up. Now, him and Enzo will be a lot of fun together. But if I was Newcastle, I think I'd go all out for him. I think I'd offer him a huge ca- a huge amount of cash. Now, whether he'd take it or not, I don't know. But Champions League football, play next to Gamerish, it's a club on the up. He's the type of building block that you could do it. Now, it's a huge expense, obviously. Huge expense. Far bigger than Newcastle have ever spent before. But for him, I think he'd be worth it. Um, Isaac Gilding. Question for the pod. What do you make of all this? I normally like this Twitter account. Don't necessarily disagree with with the tweet, even if it's a huge generalization. So the tweet is... The quality of football in the modern era is higher than it's ever been. If people want went back to watch full games instead of just highlights of Ronaldo and Kaka, that would be obvious. Uh, I don't agree with that at all. In fact, I vehemently disagree with that. I think the game is maybe more aesthetically pleasing now. I think if you're into excitement, it's maybe better now. And by excitement, I mean goals. But From a defensive point of view, the game is miles off from where it was in the 80s, 90s and 2000s. The the calibre of individual defenders is much lower. The rules have been skewed so drastically in favour of attackers it's very hard for defenders to do their jobs. Kids who previously would have been defenders are now playing in midfield. Kids that would have been midfielders are now playing in defence.
2: So... I don't agree with that. And then there's a follow up comment that Isaac has asked me about. And this is from someone
1: who is an analyst and journalist and deals with data, not just about all things, not just football. This shouldn't be even remotely controversial. To really draw out the knives, I'd go with Brighton 22 23 would beat Man United 98
2: 99. That is complete and utter garbage. Because one of two things has to happen.
1: You either need to transplant this Brighton team to that era of football in which it wouldn't even be a competitive game. And I love this Brighton team, but it wouldn't be a competitive game. Or you transplant this, that, that United team to this era. In which case they've also got the advantages of modern facilities, modern recovery Modern training plans, modern nutrition, modern medicine. Like, it's just nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. From start to finish, it's nonsense. The quality of football is not better. It's different. And maybe to people that like to present themselves as intelligent viewers of the game, but don't actually have much basis for that view of themselves, maybe then
2: it is more exciting or or better, or higher quality. But for me, the quality of the football isn't close because the game is too one-sided now. The game is entirely based around goals. And the art of defence is gone. The art of grinding out a result
1: is gone. We saw... In the last week, we saw Jose Mourinho strung up by some for how
2: Roma approached the final of the Europa League. I had no issue with how they approached. Didn't see the same type of energy towards Moyes, who took an even more defensive approach last night. But Moyes won.
1: Jose lost. So what that tells me is people are too focused on scorelines and results and don't watch the game for the game. You see, what I like to do is I like to watch games without the goals. When I've seen a game with the goals and I know the score and I know who scored, I know how they scored, et cetera, et cetera, I like to watch a game without the goals. Because then you see what the game actually was. You see how players actually performed. Because goals and assists and defensive errors tend to skew people's view on the game far too much. So I think the initial tweet is wrong. I think the follow-up is utter garbage. So I hope that answers that question. Matt JT, how do you think some of Liverpool's targets or players you want them to sign being used by their national teams could impact their availability of performance in Liverpool? I think this is something that needs to be considered going forward because of the way it impacted Naby, I 100% agree. And I do think it will be. I do also think we'll be more careful about careful about signing players who are kind of AFCON eligible because you do lose them for a big chunk of the season. Um, I know we've just signed McAllister, but I do think there will be a time where maybe we look to have less South American players to cut down on that consistent travel over and back, because I do think that has played a factor in the decline of Fabinho and the decline in Firmino as well over the last couple of years. So, yeah, I think it's definitely something that needs to be factored in. Uh, Mikhail Campbell, I've got an early question with the pod. If Liverpool sign Alexis, Turam, Kone and Viega, would you be willing to do a swap with Barcelona of Thiago, and €35 million euro in exchange for Frank Kessie.
2: No. No. I, I, I wouldn't swap Thiago for Kessie straight up, personally. I just wouldn't. I like Frank Kessie. And if I could buy Frank Kessie for 30000000 million, I'd probably do that. But I'd want
1: to keep Thiago as well. Because I think they're players that could complement each other very well.
2: But I, I wouldn't do that deal, no. Uh, last question then. There's actually two parts to this. Uh, Alex, could you discuss the
1: legacy of Zlatan? Also, was there a move of Zlatan's career that you could change? Oh, if there was a move of Zlatan's career that you could change, what would it have been? For me, it was prior to moving to Juve, he was supposed to join Roma. But when Capello left Roma, Zlatan followed him to Juve. Zlatan is one of the greats. I think he's the third best striker of his era. Now, I'm using a loose variation of era there because Zlatan is 41, but I would still put him in the same era as Suarez and Benzema,
2: even though his prime years were well before theirs. I think of the last, let's say, since oh four when he joined Juve, I would say he was as good as
1: any striker in the world for a couple of years. Not in terms of goals; he didn't have the goal record of of certain others, but his all round play was just outrageous. For Juve, for Inter, for Barca, even despite the fact him and Messi didn't get on, he goes to Milan. He's extraordinary there. Wins the league title. The one move I wish he hadn't made was PSG. He
2: was thirty one and I wish at that point he'd come to England 2012 I wish he'd moved to England there was talk of City having interest there was talk
1: of United having interest I, I wish he'd come to England in 2012 that's that's the one thing I, I wish had gone different in his career because he scored for fun with PSG but that was still like kind of his prime. He had a, a kind of a, an
2: extended prime there. And I would, have, I would have loved to have seen him at his best in England. Just to see, because that size and technical ability is just, you never see it. He's the size of Haaland. He's got the technical ability of Benzema.
0: He's got the strength and hold
2: up play of Drogba. Like, he is a once off. We won't see another one like him. Incredible. An incredible player. And look, when he came to United, he was 35.
1: He scored 17 and 28 in a bad team in the Premier League, 28 and 46 in all competitions, helped them win two major trophies, Uh, two trophies. And then he tore his ACL, obviously. Then he went off to LA Galaxy. He was the best player in MLS, arguably, for the time he was there. And then he went back to Milan. And again, he played a vital role in winning them another title and getting them back among the elite, even though the, the season they won the title and he scored eight goals. The season before that, he got 15. 39 years of age, banging in 15 goals. An amazing player. An amazing player, and nobody will tell you that he is amazing more than he will himself. But l- listen to this run
2: 0102 2 league title with Ajax. Doesn't win the title 02-03. Wins it again
1: 03-04 with Ajax. Moves to Juve back-to-back titles 04-05. And 05, 06. Now, they're taken away because of Poli, but they won those titles. Moves to Inter when Ufa get relegated. Three straight titles. 06,
2: 07, 07, 08, 08, 09. Moves to Barcelona. Wins the league title in 09, 10. Moves to Milan. Wins the league title in
1: 10, 11. Doesn't win the league title in eleven twelve. The first time since oh
2: two, oh three he doesn't win a league title. And then he goes to France and rattles off four more. And then he would go back to Milan after stops in Manchester and,
0: and LA and win another title. Fourteen league titles.
2: Fourteen league titles and he is missing the biggest trophy of all he didn't win a champions league and that's a shame but he was he was phenomenal and he was a winner and he scored goals wherever he went
0: his is time at
1: ajax let's say from malmo 14 and 29 3 and 12 the next season, but moves it midway into the season. 9 and 33. 21 in 42, 15 and 31. Joins Juve. For that season, 19 in 49, including 3 and 4 for Ajax. Following season, 10 and 47. Goes to Inter. 15 and 36, 22 in 34, 29 in 47. Goes to Barca, 21 in 45. Goes to Milan, that season he's 22 in 42, including one in one for for Barca. The next season, 35 in 44. PSG, 35 in 46, 41 in 46, 30 in 37, 50 in 51. Then he goes to United, 28 in 46. Then he has the season he loses to his knee injury. Goes to MLS, 22 and 27, 31 in 31. Back to Milan, 11 in 20. Remember, he's 38 years of age now. 11 and 20, 11 and 20 17 and 27, 8 in 27. And then this season, obviously, he was spoiled by injuries for him. But 866 career games, 511 goals. 122 caps for Sweden. 62 goals. Now, by right, he should have retired from international football the first time. He should have just stayed retired. That was 2016. And he would have retired with 62 in 116. So better than a goal every two games. I love Zlatan. Creativity, power, everything you want. Goals. Like I say, he's a winner. Yes, he's the most arrogant player to ever play the game. But when you can turn around and tell people you won 14 league titles, you, you can afford to be a little bit arrogant. And finally, if you could pick careers outside of sport for the following people based on their personalities and
2: footballing characteristics, what would they be? Feel free to do all of them or just choose your favourites. Virgil van Dijk. Virgil van Dijk. Model. He's a good looking fella, he's tall. Model, very very cool. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp pub
1: landlord. Just I think he'd be brilliant. Imagine going to have a pint with Jurgen. He's definitely having lock-ins. It'd be great crack. Pep Guardiola geography teacher, boring people to death. Jose Mourinho,
2: a hundred percent the school principal, the narkiest man you ever met in your life. Jordan Pickford. Would need to be something that involves short arms. Wearing a T-Rex costume at, like, a Jurassic Park theme park. That's what I'd do for him. Gary Neville. Accountant. He just screams accountant. And the name Neville is just an accountant's name. Uh, wow. Roy Keane. God, Roy Keane. Politician. always <laughs> picking a fight with somebody. Politician. Jamie Carragher. Um, knowing what I know about Carragher, I would say some sort
1: of charity work, like some sort of running a, a youth centre for underprivileged kids or something, because he is very much about his community, about giving back. So, yeah, I would say that. Angolo Kante. Something similar, you know, but somehow involved in the Muslim community because he, again, he's a, he's an incredibly selfless person. And for people taking shots at him getting that money from Saudi, like, shut up. That fella will do more good
2: with that money than anyone else who could possibly have it. He will give back so much of that money to aid the betterment of other people's lives. Uh, Luca Modric. Bass player in,
0: like, a psychedelic rock band. Cristiano Ronaldo. He'd have to be a model, wouldn't he? Because he's just obsessed with himself. Lionel Messi.
2: I think Messi would have been a great actor because he's got the discipline to spend time and learn. So I'd go messy as an actor. Namer. Unemployed. A, a party organizer. A luxury experience coordinator. That's what I saw
1: someone who's an event planner put on their, um, some, someone I went to school with, but I won't name, um, has as their career on their uh,
2: LinkedIn Luxury event planner. Now, look, fair play, but I know who he works for. I know what he does. and That's not what he does.
1: There's no luxury about what he organises. Uh, Jordan Henderson. I'd oh, be a cop, 100%. Just a, a fucking narc. <laughs> 100% he'd be a cop. Right, that'll do me for today, folks. Thanks as always, and I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.
0: Cast Network.